0: Hey, this is Tim from Kalamunda Church of Christ. And today I hope that this podcast blesses you. If you are wanting to know anything more about our beautiful church, why don't you hop online and head to our website at colomunda.church. We thank you that your death and resurrection on the cross, your broken body and your blood that was shed for us, Lord, brings freedom brings life, brings light into this dark world. And Lord, we thank you that not only did you die, but you rose again. That Lord, you ascended into heaven never to die again. And so we serve a risen King. We serve a King who is alive. We serve a name, the name of Jesus that is powerful and active. And so Lord, we pray that your word today would be powerful and active in us, that, Lord, you would show yourself as good and great in the church in Kalamunda today. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, amen. I'm going to switch this over to the right side. I'm sorry, I should have told someone I'm left-handed. Is that all right? Can we can we do that? I'm from Mandra as well, so... Forgive me, if you will. I did spend time playing footy with the guys. And, uh, yeah, I'm shocked by that experience that I'd be invited to speak at a church, if I'm honest. And if any of you experience me uh, playing football, I apologize. Uh, I think when Brad was pastoring the church in Muckhambootin, yeah, there was an incident. And, um, you know, I've asked for God's forgiveness. Um, But we are no longer allowed to enter a footy team in state youth games. Uh, I just want (laughs) to... I want to honor uh, Pastor Brad and Skye and the whole family and just say you guys have been an incredible gift to me and my family and to our church. And you guys have got to know that you have one of the most authentic, incredible communicators, great church pastors in your church sitting on your front row. So can we give him a hand? As Brad said, I know you guys are sort of taking a time to re-envision what mission looks like in your church. And so I hope this morning really just to come and uh, I thought maybe we could go back to Acts chapter 4 as every pastor does when they're thinking about and re-envisioning what the church is all about. And we're going to take a little bit of a look at uh, the birth of the church in the New Testament. And as we do, I want to look at two healthy ingredients of a local church. But then beyond that, I really just want to share a little bit of my testimony and our church's testimony in the hope that it might encourage you on your journey. Is that cool? Can we do that? Awesome. Let's turn to Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35. It says, All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. That there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, we read the scriptures in the New Testament so easily, right, as if they're just, especially in the book of Acts, as if they're like episodes on Netflix that we're just flicking through, but we have to go back to verse 32 and recognize this scripture that says all the believers were in one heart and one mind and remember that this didn't just happen, click of a finger, wham, instantly. Has anyone ever met another human being? Yeah, you know this is impossible, right? No, if you were to actually put this few verses into the context of the scripture, we know that the church is actually under an incredible persecution. They're under Roman rule still. And in in the middle of all of this, they somehow come to this scripture saying, all the believers were in one heart and one mind. And it's because I believe that the church experiences the power of Jesus followed by persecution, and somehow it resulted in unity. It's kind of a bizarre equation, isn't it? Like pain, persecution, and power resulting in unity unity. And you know, it's not to say that all the time this is the result because we know that pain and persecution and stressful times can often lead to relationship breakdown and and terrible things. But in this case, in this moment, if we were to read the beginning of chapter 4, we discover the people of God, they actually come together under this pain and persecution and they pray. That's why I love the hour of power coming up. You better be there, 7 till eight. On some sort of date, but just don't listen to Brad when it's about dates, all right? Because he gets them all wrong. But they come together and what do they do? They simply pray Jesus. They simply speak Jesus. They put Jesus at the center of it all. And then after this, we arrive in verse 32 where it says that all the believers were in one heart and mind. Their prayer was not for personal protection or personal gain. Their prayer was for boldness and courage. Boldness and courage for what? Boldness and courage for the mission. You see, unity comes when we are on mission. Unity comes from the mission, his mission. And in verse 33, it said, With great power, the apostles continued. Can everyone say continued? With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Unity comes from being on mission, but unity is not the end goal. Unity is the starting point, according to the start of the New Testament church. You see, I believe that too many churches place unity as this end goal, and once they reach it, they forget that they are called to continue, which is why so many church communities become so ingrown, exclusive at best, but unattractive at worst. See, it's easy to be unified in a static group of people, isn't it? You just kick the ones out you don't like. And you don't invite anyone else in. But unity, according to the gospel, is meant to be attractive. Unity is meant to be attractive to attract others. John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. The purpose of unity is not just for me. The purpose of unity is for everyone. They were united in purpose. So what's the first ingredient of a healthy church? Number one, Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. I know you should probably take that one down in your notes just so you don't forget. Number one, Jesus. And so all the believers were in one heart and one mind. And here's my favorite scripture. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Who's gripping their wallet right now? Considering what's in their bank account. Before you get all freaked out, why don't we stop and recognize how beautiful this is? Before we get all attached to our money, why don't we stop and just go, wow, there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, people sold what they had and they gave it to anyone who was in need. Sometimes we get distracted by the incredible sacrifice that this would have taken and forget the beauty that it creates. Almost like unity, when did generosity get so scary? Generosity is meant to be attractive as well. Unity and generosity. How many people know, though, that it's beautiful to see awesome acts of kindness? We love watching the videos that feel good of the person giving money to that person or a meal, and it's incredible, but then it's my turn. And it's a little bit tougher. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? That intimidating feeling? Maybe it's at the pub. You shouldn't have been there. When the rounds are going around, you realize it's your, show, your time <laughs> to pay up. I, it reminds me of a dinner. My dad's 60th birthday was last year. And I remember when Mum called me and said, hey, we're doing a photo shoot. I was like, you're kidding me. I hate photo shoots. Anyone else hate photo shoots? Yeah. All the, oh, there's some wives in the room too. My wife loves photo shoots. Anyway, I said, no, I'm not doing it. And she said, well, I'm paying for you to come and stay up in a hotel in Fremantle that night with your brother and sister. Okay, I can do the photo shoot. (laughs) That'd be awesome. And so we went along and we went out to a fancy uh, restaurant for dinner and uh, we ate way too much. And it was an awesome night and we got to the end and we walked over to the till And we got there, and I went to pay my part, just my part. And the lady said, no, no, it's all good. Uh, That guy over there has already paid. And she was pointing to my brother. I went, wow, so generous, right? Like it was a big bill. If Lee and I wanted to pay, we couldn't have done it if we wanted to. Uh, And yet this feeling was bubbling up on the inside. And I'm pretty sure it was the same feeling that my sister was feeling. As we walked back to our hotel, I leant into Lee as we're walking down the street. Lee, we've got to cover breakfast. We've got to do breakfast because we've got Gold Lounge coming up at lunch, and I'm not paying for everyone's cinema tickets and this. And so we rock up at breakfast the next morning. I did that sneaky thing where you hop out a little bit earlier than everyone else, and I went up to the till to pay ahead of time. And the lady said, No, that ugly tall guy over there, pointing to my brother in law, has already covered the bill. I thought, Wow. So generous. And yet I knew what was coming. And we rocked up at the Gold Lounge, and thanks for the favour of the Lord and my mum. She had prepaid the tickets. Oh. But I said, hey, I'll cover the snacks and drinks, of course, because I just would love to. And uh, I remember going to the till. Pulling out the receipt, bottle of champagne, what? looked over at my brother and brother-in-law just giving me a little (laughs) grin over there, totally stitching me up. But how many people know this feeling, right? Where we're like, oh, this is so cool that you're being generous. And then they look to you and you're, oh, me now, my turn. And it's this feeling of obligation when in fact generosity is meant to be an opportunity. And the scripture here, it says that no one claimed that anything was their own. And let's be honest, that's challenging. And I love to put things in their historical context. If we didn't do that, we'd have concubines and all this sort of stuff. But this scripture cannot be pushed under a rug. It can't be hidden away. These guys got my joke. Thank you. It's intimidating. I agree. But we can't sweep this scripture away. No one claimed That anything was their own. I love the way that theologian Matthew Henry puts it. He says that they did not call it their own because they had, in affection or in love, forsaken everything for Christ. And then he hits us right in the face here with we can call nothing our own but sin. No man said that what he had was his own because each one was willing to share with others. It's easy to say, let's fight for unity. But what if as a church we said, let's fight for generosity? You've got to know that there shouldn't really be a break between verses 33 and 34 where it reads, with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. The power... That was at work in them all resulted in no needy persons. So, what was the power that was at work in them all? Generosity. There were no needy persons among them. You got to know the second ingredient for a church. You ready to take out your notes? Number one, Jesus. Number two, Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. I know I'm from Mandra, I'm a simple guy, okay? (laughs) I like simple points, but you've got to know that their generosity, it began with Jesus. It continued because of Jesus. It was Jesus's power, his grace at work. It was only because of Jesus. What is the church about? Jesus. And if the church is about Jesus, then the church is about his mission, And if we're about His mission, then we're about the plan, perspective, and purpose of Jesus. And if we're about the plan, purpose, and perspective of Jesus, then uh, unity isn't exclusive, it's inclusive. If we're about the plan, purpose, and perspective of Jesus, then generosity isn't an obligation. Generosity is an opportunity. And how many people don't want to be part of a Community that is of one heart and one mind? How many people know that we want to be part of a community where there are no needy among them? How many people want to be part of a church community that is vibrant and alive? So we must ask ourselves what do we bring to the equation? If the two healthy ingredients are Jesus and Jesus, then, what do we bring to the equation? Unity and generosity. Unity and generosity. Jesus at the center of it all. It's profoundly challenging, but seriously simple. Like I said, I'm a simple guy from Mandra. If you've never been to Mandra, then when you hear on the news that there was an incident south of Perth, they're talking about mantra. <laughs> my story is a one of simple prayers and simple faith. Actually, my entire life was completely changed. The whole direction of my life changed at the birth of my first daughter. I've got two beautiful girls, eight and three, Piper and Taya. They're causing mum absolute mayhem at church this morning. I've got a number of calls already. Uh, So thanks, Brad, for inviting me up here. (laughs) Uh, But the truth is, I was probably 12 years old when I remember the tangible presence of God and the sense that I was uh, being called to pastor a church. I could picture it clearly. You know, my dad, he'd been pastoring the church for 20 years and I'd seen behind the scenes and I knew that is exactly not what I wanted to do. And so I ran as far away as I could I tried to disqualify myself. I, I partied, I fought, I, I drank, I did a whole lot of dumb stuff. And if I looked around at age 24, married, no kids, all I felt was emptiness and all I saw was a marriage that was falling apart. When Piper was born, my first child, she was three days old. Uh, when we were rushed up to Princess Margaret Hospital back then, Uh, to have all of our expectations completely blown out of the water. Eventually, Piper was diagnosed with 22q11.2 deletion syndrome. That's one you need notes for. We just call it 22q, and it's a chromosome disorder that means still to this day that Piper can't eat via mouth, she can't drink, she's fed via a tube and she's got hearing loss and physical delays and all of this stuff. But honestly, she is a bright, shining star of joy in every room that she enters. But there was this moment when she was born and actually we received the diagnosis about eight weeks later and I remember Lee and I in the hospital just standing over Piper holding hands and we prayed this prayer. God, help me. Three words, God, help me. Three desperate words. And up until this point, uh, growing up in church, like I said, my relationship was surface level. It dipped below the service surface maybe at a cool church camp or when the music was just right. But really. Uh, I didn't know God. I wasn't chasing after Him. But from this moment and those three words forward, I just began to chase after God. And really, it's been these three words that have carried me over these last eight years. We began leading the church about four years ago, and I could only describe it as a comedy of errors and an incredible move of God. Week one, I think day two, someone in the church passed away. And my dad, no transition at all, just bang. There you go, son, deal with that one. COVID, everything else in between. You know what? I was so excited to do this journey with dad. Dad's my hero. But about a year into the journey, whew, uh, we discovered dad had been diagnosed with uh, younger onset Alzheimer's. And I remember praying, God, help me. God, help me. As much as I tease Mandra, I love my city. I love its people. And underneath the surface of all the brokenness is a city that is suffering and a people who are desperate. As we began to lead the church, uh, like I said, we had no clue what we were doing. So we just decided to love on the city. We called it Love My Mandra. We began with a love event for special needs kids in our local primary school. Obviously, it came close to Lee and I's heart. And over the last few years, we've now gathered hundreds and hundreds of kids from all over our local primary schools to come for a one day that we call the best day ever, where we put a carnival on just for them and their families. We do events for foster kids and solo mums and the homeless and Reno Rescues. And at none of them do we preach the gospel. We say that we are... Living the gospel. But be warned, as you begin your journey as a church to mission, that people will complain. Probably people in here. (laughs) Sitting in church seats going, what about me? Why are we spending all this money on this? Where is the return? And sometimes they leave. But you know what? Every time that someone brings this up to me, I always tell them the story of Nikki. Nikki came along to our first best day ever carnival. She brought her daughter and her son and they had a great time and someone at church told them that uh, we look after your kids on Sunday. Great reason to come to church. And so she came and she kept coming back until eventually she gave her heart to the Lord. And she was baptized about a year and a half ago in our church. Her husband started coming, tattooed head to toe, intimidating figure. Struggled with alcoholism all of his life and a life that really had been hard to him. Last year, we baptised Nikki's husband. Nikki finished her study for chaplaincy and now she's a chaplain in two of our local primary schools. Do not tell me it's not worth it for Nikki and her family. Amen. One time we got super excited, we stopped church. That, that caused a bit of a disruption. <laughs> and uh, we went to our local primary school and we just did a bit of a reno rescue, a, a garden cleanup. And everyone was saying, well, what's, there's not even any people here right now. It was the school holidays. The school holidays finished and the term came back and on the first day, a young boy was tragically killed on his way to school. The school reached out because we'd just been there. We responded in love. I think we sent a coffee van and and served lunch to the teachers. And all the while we prayed, God, help us. God, help me. Next year, same thing happened. This time it was a teacher who had taken his life. The school reached out. We responded in love. The next year, it happened again. This time it was a young boy that had come to every one of our best day ever carnivals. And he attempted suicide, primary school boy. The school reached out We responded in love. About two weeks later, I was sitting talking to a a bunch of Christian school teachers down in our area. And I got a call from the chaplain asking whether we could uh, use our church as the place for the funeral the family had requested. I don't know the family. We said, yes, of course. And uh, They were switching off his life support that day. I hung up the phone, looked at these teachers and said, guys, we're going to pray. And guess what we prayed? God, help me. God, heal him. God, this school is being torn apart. What are you going to do? Two weeks later, school had returned. It was school holidays and I hadn't had a call about the funeral. The chaplain called me and I said, hey, no one's reached out. And she said, no one's reached out because on that day that they switched off that life support, the boy began to breathe. He began to respond to treatment. How incredible is our God, right? He is healer. He is powerful. We simply need to speak the name of Jesus. Let me tell you, you don't know what's on the other side of those three words. Our church has been exploding. It's been fun, it's been growing, but it's been a total mess as well. It's transforming our church, and over the last few years, we've seen 70 plus people baptized into his kingdom. And you might have seen so many in your time and season. You know, for us in our little context, we're seeing God move. But the whole point is not to champion me or champion the church, we're not that clever. We don't have life all figured out, but we do believe that real life is found in Jesus. And my hope this morning is that you might begin to see how the Spirit of God wants to use you in your city. This is our strategy and it's simple. We say, open our doors as wide as possible, love relentlessly and preach the gospel, live the gospel, share the gospel, all the while praying, God, help me. We must be willing to put aside the expectations of religion to respond to the cry of our city. Even when it hurts, even when it costs us, even when it shows no return or even when it's an interruption. I remember one Tuesday about a few weeks ago, it was a horrible Tuesday. The staff got no attention. My message on Sunday was no good either because a couple walked into the church and asked me to marry them six hours later in the hospital across the road. Their father was passing away. And if you know anything of the background of marriage uh, certificates and all of that, it's pretty much impossible. We prayed together. I remember coming together as a staff. Guys, you've got to sort the day out. God, help me. We went over there and in the evening married this couple beside their father that was passing away. Now, I know that they aren't Jesus followers, but I look forward to the end of that story. We must be willing. To put aside the expectations of religion and respond to the cry of our city. Even when it costs us, even when we see no return, even when it's an interruption. And if I'm honest with you, all the while that this great stuff is happening in church, I'm suffering on the inside. I can't take Piper to the sausage sizzle. It's too traumatic for us and for her to see everyone eating. I can't share all of this success with dad because less and less is he understanding what's going on in the world around him. I think my other most common prayer is, why God? It's only two words, that one. Why God? And I don't get a whole lot of answers. But as a family, we've decided to live by this scripture in Psalm 118 verse 24 that says, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I don't get a whole lot of answers from my why God prayers. My help me God ones work a little bit better. But the truth is more and more I'm understanding that this personal moment, my personal pain and suffering. It's a way of God using me to connect with the grief in my city. Imagine, imagine if we didn't wait only until we were at the end of ourselves, till our pride and sin had crushed us to a point of crying out, God help me, but instead recognize that Jesus' call, his invitation to follow him was for now. Now to surrender our lives now to Him in the hope that His presence would move. God, help us. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. Jesus, move now. God, help me. Three-word prayers that will transform your life. And as you yourselves are transformed, so will the city around you. I'm telling you, if he can do it with a boy from Mandra, then he can definitely do it with you. God, help me. See, the reality is it's not just Mandra, our whole world is suffering. Our whole world is desperate. And we have the great privilege of God's willingness to use broken people like me and probably you too to bring about his kingdom here on earth. After all, that's what the church is all about, right? Now we know, don't we, that church isn't even in the Bible. Jesus never said the word church. It's a really poor substitution for a Greek word called ekklesia or ecclesia. About AD 313, the Emperor Constantine, he declared that he was a Christian and he took the church mainstream. It became popular. And this movement of people, which is the definition of this word, ecclesia, a movement of people called out for a specific purpose, it ceased to be a movement and became a building. They erected these buildings called Basilias. And as it spread to German culture, they called them Kirkas. And it's from the word Kirka that we get the word church. And Andy Stanley says this about the kirke. He says, You can lock the doors of a kirke, but not so the ecclesia of Jesus. What does all this mean? It means that we need to look at our kirkes and ask ourselves some questions Are we moving or simply meeting? Are we making a measurable difference in our local community or are we simply conducting services? Are we organized around a mission or are we organized around an antiquated ministry model inherited from a previous generation? I'm just being real with you this morning. Are we allocating resources as if Jesus is the hope of the world or is it the squeaky wheels of church culture driving our budgets? Are we an ecclesia Or have we settled for a kirk? You see, a church, it provides a space, but an ecclesia, it fills a space in all of us. How how do we be the kirk? How do we be the movement of people called out for a specific purpose? Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. What will we bring? Unity and generosity. Unity and generosity. You don't need to know everything about the Bible like Brad. (laughs) Why is everyone laughing, Brad? You don't need to be someone important. You don't need to have a microphone in your hand or play really cool guitar with awesome ripped jeans. My point is, you don't need to be super special. You simply need a simple faith, simple prayers, because we serve a powerful Jesus. I want to challenge you this morning, not because it's not my church and I can say what I want, but because I believe in the local church and I believe in the name of Jesus. What will you bring to the equation? Unity and generosity. What does it look like as a church to fight for unity and to fight? For generosity. Can I pray for you? I think the band are going to come up. And really I want to pray with people. We give an opportunity every Sunday at church to respond to Jesus. Maybe sitting there going, wow, unity, generosity. I'm just wondering who is Jesus? That's my three word prayer. I want you to know this morning that Jesus came into our world to die upon a cross. And to be risen again to take the punishment of our sin, of your brokenness, your mistakes, past, present, and future, and nail them to a cross. The story of the gospel is not behave and be saved. It is believe and receive. The free gift of grace, of salvation from Jesus. And so if you this morning are maybe searching wondering who is Jesus, maybe you've been coming for a number of weeks, maybe it's your first Sunday, maybe it's been years and you still haven't declared Him as your Lord and Savior, I just want to invite you into a three-word prayer. God, help me. God, save me. And so if you want to pray that prayer as a church, we're all going to bow our heads and I'm just going to ask you, you just put your hand over your heart as we pray this prayer and I'm going to pray it over you and we're going to declare it together. Dear Jesus, we just thank you for every person that is here in this room. And Lord, for that person this morning that is searching, that is crying out for you, that maybe recognizes that feeling of emptiness and life falling apart, but doesn't quite know the answer. Lord, I pray that this morning that they would know that the truth that will set them free is found in you. And together as a church, we pray, God, help me. God, help me. Help us. God, save us. God, forgive me. And Lord, over everyone in this church, the mission that they're coming around, Lord, we know that mission starts here. It starts with us. And so I pray that you would give us courage and boldness as that early church prayed in Acts, not for personal gain or power, but for boldness and courage to see your mission at work in our lives, in our church, in the city of Kalamunda and beyond. Lord, help us. Give us the strength, the power of your spirit to walk in unity and generosity. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Hey, church, I love you. Thank you so much for having me. We're going to go into a time of worship, and I know there's an opportunity the end of every service to to come forward for prayer and sometimes you do that after the song sometimes during the song i want to invite you now i would love to pray with anyone that maybe is in that similar situation where it feels like a hopelessness has overwhelmed you and you just need someone to come alongside you and say god help us god heal them whatever that is in your situation as you stand to your feet and we sing this song i just want to invite you forward if you'd like to respond to that if you're someone that responded to the salvation call to say, God, save me. And I'd also love to invite you to be bold and courageous and come forward and say, hey, that was me praying that prayer. And I'd love to pray with you too. So could we stand to our feet as we worship? Let's do that.